everyone. Welcome to episode 82 of the Book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we're together on a Saturday morning, which is unusual. We yeah. had some scheduling snafu. Well, not snafus. Not snafus. We were just, just busy. changes. Yeah, <laughs> changes. I had an out-of-town visitor. And so we are coming from the Guilford Library. Yeah. One of their study rooms is where we are today. Because the gentleman callers in the recording studio. So... <laughs> And uh, before we get started with our segments, I wanted to just say we had a wonderful fact checker listener email us, Leslie, thank you, who corrected me that when I was talking about City of Girls, the new book by Elizabeth Gilbert, I said that one of the characters hailed from Clinton, Connecticut, which is a couple towns over, and she let me know that it was actually Clinton, New York. Upstate New York. Good to know. Yes, good to know we have some roving fact checkers out there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So what are you currently reading, Chris? I am currently on Middlemarch. Right on. I'm well into it. I had set myself a little bit of a a pace to follow. I was hoping to read 50 pages a day. I'm not quite making that between packing and getting the house ready for sale, which is on the market now. So if anybody wants to move to Connecticut or to Guilford, there's a nice house for sale. It's very nice. (laughs) I I second that. (laughs) So, but I am really enjoying it. I am on book six, which is chapter 54. Yeah, you're, you're definitely past halfway. Oh, yeah. And I'm really loving it. I Every time I do have time to read, I just enjoy getting back into this world. I love all the characters. It's about this small community and their loves and their passions and their ambitions and the quarrels that they have together. There's a lot of politics in here, too, and some of that just goes over my head because I'm not really up on 19th century British <laughs> politics. But some of the medical stuff, too, there's a lot of... Uh, changes going on in the medical profession, which I do know a little bit more of just because I read a lot about like midwives and the growth of the medical profession in 19th century America, at least. So like one of the characters who was a a doctor is not prescribing his own self-made medications. He's working with the pharmacist, which is a new thing. And so Mm. there are a lot of people who think there's something wrong with that. Right. So it's just really a wonderful novel. I'm really enjoying it. And that, I think we should say it's by George Eliot. Yeah, George Eliot. I don't think I said last time who it was by, did I? Yeah. And George Eliot was a woman. This is a pen name. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, in a time when it was better to be a man who was publishing. Mm. Yeah, it came out in 1871. Well, I have to say I've had an If You Want to Make God Laugh by Bianca Murray hangover. (laughs) Yeah. I loved that book so much that I have picked up and started so many. Have you really? Yeah, Yeah. it's kind of bad because that's not really my thing. You know, usually I'm I'm not even a DNFer. Yeah, you just want to be with those characters still, huh? Yeah, yeah. So I am currently reading quite a few, and what I realized was that what I needed to head towards was more nonfiction. Okay. So I'm in the middle of Eat Like a Fish by Bren Smith. Cool. The one about the gentleman who's doing aquatic ocean farming. He was just on the cover of Shoreline Times. Was he really? Yeah, I haven't gotten to read that article. This is our local kind of Guilford Shoreline paper. And he, there's a great picture of him hauling a trap out of the sound. And it says, eat like a fish. So it must be about his book and his profession. Very so cool. I'm, I'm excited to read that. This, I think, could be the wave of the future. Kelp farming, as it's a 3D farming system. So he has kelp and mussels and oysters and scallops. And the way the farming works is that that portion of ocean can still be used by 
kayakers and fishermen and things like that. And it actually improves the health of the water. That's great. You know, yeah, so the it's whole ecosystem yeah. in there. Yeah. Very cool. And it, the, the kelp somehow improves the carbon mm-hmm. in the, you know, I don't really get it all yet. I'm still reading it, but mm-hmm. so I'm really excited to be reading that one. I'm really enjoying it. And then I'm listening to Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup by you John Carroll. Okay. I've heard really good things uh, about that one. So good. This is about Elizabeth Holmes, the young woman who made such waves in Silicon Valley with this idea that the company name was Theranos, and it was an idea about a system of collecting blood with a pinprick to your finger. She has a... She's just terrified of needles. So that's part of where the idea came from. And her dream was that people would have little kits in their homes where they could prick their finger and get all manner of blood tests done. But it ended up in some ways to be kind of a hoax. I mean, she meant well, is my honest belief, because I'm that kind of a person. (laughs) But she ended up getting, you know, raising millions and millions of dollars from angel investors and started this huge company and it all completely unraveled. And because of this reporter, John Carreau, who heard from some ex-employees, he did a big investigation and uncovered that it was really a hoax. It was a hoax. Wow. I mean, that's a strong word. I shouldn't use hoax, but... Was it like just the science wasn't there yet? Right. And so they were banking on the science... Being I think available that, eventually. Or? I think that she was she was inflexible in her willingness to listen to her engineers and say, you know, what you want, the size of what you want this to be, and the manner of what you want it to look like isn't going to work. And she just insisted. And then she started to get big organizations like Walgreens to buy in, and she would fake it basically in meetings and give them fake data and fake evidence. And then they started to take the samples that they were collecting because they were using Walgreens. People were giving their blood for samples and to have their blood tested. And then they were taking second set with, you know, like needles and had this testing facility that wasn't really okay by that. You know, it was just bad. And the company culture is a lot of what the book's about because she was so secretive because she wasn't being truthful. Yeah. And that's you know. a big problem yeah. with a lot of companies yes. these days. Yeah. Well, and that, that's one of the things they're saying is that because they're not, they haven't gone public and they have all this private investing, there's a lot of fraud mm-hmm. because you can be fraudulent. Right. You know? Yeah, you don't have yeah. much oversight when it's not a publicly traded yeah. company, right? Yeah. So is anybody in prison? Not yet. But I believe she and this guy, Sonny, who was her second in command, are being charged, but nothing's happened yet. But if you get online and read about her, she's engaged to be married and all sorts of stuff. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies, and a Silicon Valley startup, John Carreau, and I am listening to the audio. Are you currently reading anything else? Because I have a... I'm not currently reading anything else. I'm also reading The Farm by Joanne Ramos. People might know this book because it has a very interesting cover with the profile of three women drawn that look pregnant. Right, with, yeah, different colors. Different colors. It's pretty striking color. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty intense. It's basically about kind of a birthing farm. Okay. But there's also a thread about Filipino immigrants who come to America to work for people and take care of their babies and their homes and what it's like for them to leave their families behind in order to do that. And some of these women end up at this farm impregnated, Mm -hmm. you know, basically growing babies for very wealthy people. 
and mm. the farm also is meant to kind of grow the best babies. So, wow. Right? It's kind of like what the Handmaid's Tale meets the Nazis meets exactly. Bianca Murray's description of the black women who leave their families to raise white people's babies and stuff. Wow. Yeah, it's very good. I'm about halfway. I'm really enjoying it. Sounds good. I was wondering about that one. I'm so happy you picked it up. Well, I'm reading it at a fast clip because I have my book club tomorrow. (laughs) So... And then the only the only other one I'm currently reading, like I've said, I've had a hard time focusing on just one, is Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. Nonfiction, reads like fiction. It is the talk of the town right now. I'm going to talk about it more because I went to see her, so I'll talk about it in my Biblio Adventures. Okay. Interesting, because I've watched a couple booktube reviews and read some reviews, and I know it's quite controversial. Incredibly controversial. Yeah. just read i just read middle march well (laughs) still going on that i just read the first five books of middle march right Um, no i read for the willa cather short story project a gold slipper was the story for july which is really good i think it's one of my favorites so far of the ones we've read going forward but it's about this grumpy middle-aged businessman who doesn't want anything to do with the performing arts And a friend of his wife comes to town to visit and wants to go see this performer who is like the, you know, the it performer as uh, I think it was Robin who said kind of like Lady Gaga of her day because she's wearing this really (laughs) flamboyant uh, outfit. And he goes to the performance. Not only does he go to the performance, he's been trying to get out of it. Um, The tickets were sold out. So he's kind of like off the hook with that. I'm going to New York while this friend of my wife is in town. But the wife calls and says, oh, no, they've released an extra 200 seats right on the stage. So I want you to get front row for us. So, like, there he is, front row on the stage, having to sit through this. But then it gets even better because after the performance, they end up sitting together on the train to New York. And they have this conversation. It's really a good story. I enjoyed it very much. It seems so fresh and just you I, I just had this feeling of Willa Cather having a really fun time writing yeah yeah great. that was a gold slipper by Willa Cather and I like that she titled it a gold slipper not the gold slipper mm-hmm. a fairy tale because it's just a gold slipper so to me I mean there's a lot of stuff about like capitalism in there and art for art's sake versus art for making money you know some um, allusions to all of that so it's just a gold slipper not the gold slipper and I thought that was a neat turn because it gives the story a bit of a different vibe very cool and Chris is in the middle of a Willa Cather short story project that you can join in on the blog right right? yeah so I'll put a link to that every month we're just going reading one short story a month Perfect. So I read How We Fight for Our Lives by Saeed Jones. This was a book I was so excited to get at Book Expo. It's his memoir. I made the mistake of, I've already passed the book on to someone and I didn't write down the release date. I know it's in October. I'll put the exact date in the show notes. And we saw him at Yale. We did. Was that last year or sometime over the winter, I think. Yeah, I think He was in conversation with Roxane Gay and and a handful of other writers. Yeah, he's quite brilliant, I think, and he's a poet by trade. He had a a poetry collection that did really well, won all sorts of awards. I think that's his only other published book. He writes a lot of, you know, essays and things like that. So the book reads very much like that. I treated myself last week and just sat in my hammock on Saturday and just read 
and really was completely gobsmacked by this book. Nice. He was um, born and raised in the South and is a black man, knew he was gay from a young age, but was you know confused by that and what that meant for him. And was raised by a single mother, hardworking single mother who had congestive heart failure and was quite ill. And he was her only person. And so there were some threads about rushes to the emergency room and things like that. But then it just follows his life and his coming out and understanding what that means and then becoming a writer and what that means. And I just thought it was brilliant. It was spare as poets tend to be, you know, and I highly recommend it. I really do. And, you know, I know you can't get that yet, a lot of you, because it's not out to October, but what I will point you towards is that Roxanne Gay has a new online magazine called Gay Mag, and its web address is gay.medium.com. I'll put that in the show notes. And he has an essay called All Right Now. His mother passed away, and that's also what the book is about. And this is an essay that he wrote about, he says things and out loud, and he realizes it's his mother's voice, wow. essentially, right? Yeah. Because we carry our people with us and inside of us. Right. It's a beautiful essay. I will put a link to it in the show notes. So you right. can read something of his now. And also I will put his poetry collection, the title of it, which is eluding me right okay. now. That's yeah. cool. And I'll be definitely reading that one in the coming months as well. Because I also was happy to get an ARC at yeah. uh, Book Expo. And it, we actually saw him twice because he was in conversation with Roxanne Gay when we saw her at the 92nd Street Y. As oh, well. that's right. So we've seen he, him twice. He moderated yeah. that event. That's and right. in, at one of those conversations, he talked about how he really was wanting to publish this memoir so much earlier, but so many wise people. People around him said, no, you, you need to work on it some more. You need to percolate your yeah. own story in your own heart and mind more before you release it to the public. And he was just so thankful to have those wise mentors around him because he realizes now that could have been disaster for him personally right. had he published it much earlier. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, it's beautiful. He And he also, you know, he's, he's lived in New York for a long time, but I follow him on Twitter and he just said that he's moving to Columbus, Ohio. Right. Yeah, I saw that tweet too. Shocking <laughs> to me, and I'm happy for the people in Columbus because I wonder, you know, is he going to be teaching or something? I don't he didn't know. Say, he you know. didn't say, yeah. but I, you know, maybe he'll get into the literary world there. There's some good bookstores in Columbus, so cool. I'm happy for for all of you who live around my old stomping grounds. <laughs> Biblio Adventures. I think yeah. we've both been busy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, do you want to go first? Because you've gone to some author events, right? I have. I've done a lot of things. So I'm going to start with some... One thing I forgot from my Michigan exploits Okay. was that if you ever find yourself in Port Huron, Michigan, which is right over the bridge from Canada, or right before the bridge from Canada, <laughs> depending on the way you're going, there is a cafe called the Raven Cafe which has a total Edgar Allan Poe theme nice. to it. And all of the tables have different authors, kind of like um, caricature faces of different famous authors. There's books all over the place. Cool. But perhaps the most important part to me was the food was phenomenal. Oh, so if you need a good sandwich, either way, over the bridge, I highly recommend Raven Cafe. And then this week I went to Boston 
and stopped at Traveler's Restaurant. Oh, you did? Yeah. Nice. yeah. Which is this restaurant in Union, Connecticut that is famous for everyone has to take a book, pick a book off their shelves when you leave. <laughs> so, and there's, they have all manner of books. They are not organized in any way, shape, or form, which mm-hmm. might make somebody crazy. It didn't bother me at all. Yeah. Thomas from the Readers would lose his mind. Right. Yes. <laughs> I thought it was kind of fun. Um, what did we? We ended up with the complete stories of Flannery O'Connor. Oh, nice! Yeah, That's beautiful great. copy of that. And then um, Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh yeah, about with, the early FBI. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember the author on that one, but that one was kind of all the rage, maybe last year and the mm-hmm. year before. I think it won the Pulitzer for nonfiction. It won something. It won a couple of words. I don't yeah. remember which. But yeah, yeah, that's definitely on my list yeah. to read, too. Everybody, so many people who have really divergent reading tastes have really praised that yeah. book. Yeah, really good. And then I also wanted to tell people about this podcast called 99% Invisible, and particularly episode number 354, which is called Weeding is Fundamental. Mm-hmm. And it was all about how libraries have to cull and weed books Mm -hmm. and some of the drama that can ensue around that like how they choose the story is about the san francisco public library after the 1989 earthquake where they needed to rebuild and had to call and that they wanted to get rid of a bunch of books and there were some librarians that kind of revolted and went through these machinations to, to make some decisions about it And then at the end of the episode, there's also a piece on the pack horse librarians of Eastern Kentucky. Cool. Who used to go around by horse Mm -hmm. with books, you know? Yeah. So it's a really cool, fun episode. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Nice. Um, Someone pointed it out to me, and I listened to it on one of my long drives recently. So those are all my kind of non-author events, but then I went, (laughs) I've been busy. I went to see Bianca Murray at the RJ Julia Wesleyan. My partner in crime couldn't go. Oh my God. I was so sad that I couldn't go, but you know, those of you who might've listened to an earlier episode, I racked my ribs. So I haven't been able to lift things or do work that I had planned to do to get the house ready for sale. So we ended up having to hire some people because poor Laura could not do everything by herself. So (laughs) managing that type of stuff was under my duty. So, oh, so sad to miss it. But sounds like you guys had a great time. It was a great event. We got to catch up with Kate. Yeah. And then um, also met Jen, who has a blog called Book Nation by Jen, and Jillian, who runs kind of a book club in Connecticut and you can follow her under Book Bar CT Book Bar Connecticut and Jillian thank you uh, arranged a dinner uh, with Bianca right before the event so we had some time just to talk with her and hear about her book tour exploits and stuff (laughs) but she you know then Jen um, moderated Bianca over at the bookstore if you if you get a chance to go to Wesleyan it's a beautiful bookstore and ran into Carol um, one of our booktopia friends also met a listener Gabby who came up and said hello so it was uh, and then um, Sarah why can't I think of her last name author from booktopia It'll come to me. She was also there um, from Vermont. She had um, driven down to say hello. So that was really nice. And 
Um, Bianca, the thing about Bianca is not only is she an excellent writer, she's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, my God. She is, yeah. <laughs> she had us <laughs> laughing from the very beginning. Um, but, you know, if you want to make God laugh, we talked about it already, is about three different women. Yeah, so it's about three women in South Africa, two white women, one black woman. The white women are older middle age sisters, and then the... Black woman is a younger woman who is, their three lives become entwined. So, right. say and that. <laughs> partly around a baby, which right. is kind of cool. And uh, Bianca had gotten a, a review in the New York Times that she wanted to speak to because one thing that's interesting about the book is that the two white women are written from the first person and the black woman is written from the third person. And the reviewer thought that that was kind of othering the black woman. And Bianca wanted to just speak to that and say that actually she wrote her from the third person because she wanted her to have a broader vision mm-hmm. and be able to describe things in a more broad perspective. Right. And one of the things that Bianca talked about is that she actually writes all of her characters from different points of view when she's starting a novel and then kind of you know, works it through and figures out the best way to tell the story, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. I've never heard an author say that. Well, and if she had written it in the first person, she would have gotten flack right. for trying to embody a black woman. Right. You know, so I think right. it's it's a hard it's a hard one. It's a fine line yeah. <laughs> yeah. in this day and age for a lot of good reasons. Right, right. Yeah. And then one of the questions from the audience was that, Each of the chapters has kind of a date stamp and a place stamp, you know, of where she is and what the date is. And they said, you know, how did you do that? And she said, well, I actually wrote the story very linearly, linearly. Mm -hmm. So she really, that was her way of kind of tracking time as she wrote it, which I thought was interesting. I always wonder when authors have different characters and they go back and forth, if they do all of one character or, you know, Mm -hmm. how they do it. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that about that novel because, like, you do, you see... The, the character doing something, say, in her first-person vision. So you get that first-person story, but then the next chapter could be the, another character observing that character doing what they just did in the last chapter. So you right. get a different perspective or a, a wider understanding of what was going on right? that or, they couldn't yeah. see because they're yeah. seeing what's before them and not yeah. being observed, so to say. Yeah, and also just that whole thing of how people do. You can both be in a room together and experience something differently, yeah, you know? Right. So... But one thing she said that was really funny is, you know, I read the arc, and in my arc, it had words on the very opening flap, like map of South Africa or something, you right. know, but there was you no know, map. Because, yeah, the arc. Right. right. And she told this story that her husband reads a lot of science fiction, and whenever he brings a new science fiction book home and there's a map when he opens it, she makes fun of him, like... Oh, a map of a world, you know? (laughs) And so she said when her book came, like the finished copy, her husband opened it and saw the map and was like, oh, a map, and gave her a lot of grief, (laughs) which was really funny. That's an example of, you know, she's just hilarious. um, Someone did ask what she's working on now, and there was rumor that she is working on um, a sequel to Hum If You Don't Know the Words. I do think that one actually might be finished but she was it was suggested by her publisher that she not put that out yet which is why she you know this other book came out but she also said what she's working on right now is a psychological thriller from a male perspective okay so that's kind of exciting did she say where it was said? No. I wonder no details. Right. Just a little tease. All right. 
And then I also thought I would say um, that she highly recommended two upcoming books. One of them we've talked about already. It's called American Dirt. Um, That one's not out till January. I know it's the one that was being buzzed a lot at Book Expo. Yeah, what the next something. Um, The next Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't remember the author names. I'm sorry. I'll put that in the show notes. And then the other one she recommended, which I think might be out now or coming out very soon, is Such a Fun Age, which I feel like I've seen the cover for. So I'll put both of those in the show notes. So it was a really fun evening. She's just a lot of fun, but I did miss my cougar co-host. I I was bummed. What about you? I've got well, some more, but I've done enough sure. talking. Well, going on that, so our friend Kate, who was up in town um, from the Bronx for Bianca, she also came to the Willa Cather Book Club, as she does. Um, so we had the Willa Cather Book Club at the Book Club Bookstore and More in South Windsor, which, as we announced last episode, it's closed. Yeah. It was closing then. It's officially closed now. But Cindy, the owner, is doing a mobile book business now. So she's going to continue to sell for um, off-site author events or different locations author events. She's continuing to host book clubs and author events. And she's partnered with the Wood Memorial Library and Museum in South Windsor, which is this historic library. So I'm really happy to say the Willa Cather Book Club will be going on. Our next meeting is in October. We'll be reading The Professor's House. So it was a really good final book club there. We talked about Safir and the Slave Girl. Really good conversation with that. Yeah, I'm sad to see that bookstore closed, but I'm really looking forward to Cindy's next, you know, chapter, yeah. as she's calling it. I think it's going to be really neat. So that was cool. And then um, I did drive by the Wood Library afterwards. I didn't have time to stop in, but I wanted to just kind of scope out and see where it was. It's in this historic part of town. And as I was driving down the road, I see this big sign, Birthplace of Jonathan Edwards who was this really influential theologian in Puritan America. So he was born, I guess it was called East Windsor then. It's it's now South Windsor. I guess it must have been incorporated into the, the larger town or something like that. I'm not sure. But he was born there in 1703. One of his most famous sermons is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I'll never forget uh, my professor, Mike Branch, actually taught that sermon in an American lit class I took. And I mean, the beginning, I'll never forget the imagery because it is about God dangling a human soul above the fires of hell, like you would dangle a spider or some other nasty insect. So like his imagery is just so vivid. Really, it's a pretty short sermon, but it's really was influential Hmm. in the day. So he died then. I think in 1758 is a date I have here. He was also the president of Princeton University for a while. So really big. If you're into like early American literature, you definitely study Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God Hmm. as uh, one of his famous sermons. So that was kind of a surprise. Yeah. And then down the road from that is the Wood Library, which I can't wait to go in because some of the women, when Cindy announced that we did have a new home and that's where it was going to be, they were super excited because that was the library that they attended when they were younger. It's really fantastically historical and they love their historicalness, which is great. Yeah. So then I had my friend, my friend Janet was in town from California for a visit, which was a lot of fun. 
So we did go into New York one day and hit the New York Public Library. They have a Walt Whitman exhibit going on right now through the end of August, which is really good. It's it's smaller, but it's still totally worth it if you're in New York, head over there and check it out. One uh, Somebody commented, too, that there's also a Whitman exhibit at the Morgan Library oh. going on right now. I, have to, I haven't had time to check that out yet, too, so... But this was at the main branch, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. This yeah. is at, on Fifth Avenue. Okay. So when you walk in and you go straight up the front steps, it's to the left. Really nice. good exhibit. You know how I like to read every little plaque yeah. and all that kind of stuff? Well, there are two people in there with really bad colds oh, who are no. hacking. And I was just like, wow, I need to get out of here. <laughs> and so I didn't have time to go back in. Yeah, nobody yeah. wants a summer cold. No, That's not at the all. worst. So that was cool because he was born in 1819, as was Melville. So they're celebrating their 200th anniversary okay. with both of those influential American writers. And then I also went to Kino Cunha, the bookstore. Oh, yeah. Right behind on the other side of Grant Park and had a good browse. Um, But then in terms of Connecticut bookish stuff, yesterday we went on a big book day. We hit the Yale bookstore slash Barnes & Noble. Uh, and then Gray Matter Books. Oh, yeah. Which is I the, still haven't gotten yeah, that. Yeah, the, the newer uh, used and rare books. It's kind of right right across the street, a little bit around the corner. I had to show her the Sterling Library and the Beinecke. Mm-hmm. Can't miss those two. And then we also visited R.J., Julia and Madison, and then went up to the book barn. Wow. So we had you did a, that all in one day? Yes. We had oh a big gosh. bookish day. We started we started around noon, I think, and then I think we got home maybe seven or so. Wow. So it was a good good job. That's a lot yeah. to get done in seven hours. I'm impressed. Yeah. And wow. you know, we didn't browse too heavily in any particular store, no. although we did have lunch and we did have a beverage at RJ's Cafe and stuff, but it was really nice because Janet's an old graduate school friend okay. when I was at the University of Nevada, and you know we used to go to bookstores in, in Reno and then over the mountain to Berkeley and hit the bookstores there, which are fantastic, or at least... I mean, I know that a lot of them are still there, but, you know, this is like, what, 20, right. 25 years ago, and there were, I think, more bookstores and possibly bigger. So it was fun to be browsing with her nice. on the East Coast yeah. after having browsed on the West Coast quite a bit. Holy, yeah. That's so nice. Well, I also watched The Inventor, which is the HBO documentary about Elizabeth Holmes, the Theranos inventor CEO you know so if you're and I I watched that first and that's what encouraged me to go get the book and also because our buddy Ryan listened to the audio and said it's amazing so it's because of his five-star review (laughs) and watching this you know and apparently there's a podcast about the whole thing too because it's such a fascinating story about how someone could fool so many people, but also, you know, the culture that she created in her office is a lot of what it's all about. Okay. You know, and how long people will put up with things and before they realize that maybe they should be a little suspicious and you yeah. know, stuff like that. Yeah. So. yeah, well, you know, every generation has their Ponzi scheme, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I also went out to Savoy Bookshop and Cafe in Westerly, Rhode Island. Um, and sent some wicked pictures my way. <laughs> yes, yes. They, they have this amazing display. It's like where the cash register is. There's a display case that has windows. It's a glass display case, basically. And inside it, they had the arc of the new Louise Penny. Yeah. So I sent a picture to Chris and said, should I smash and run? <laughs> 
awesome. I thought it was quite brave of them to like, it's just behind a little piece of glass. (laughs) I love that. Um, Savoy is actually doing this really cool thing. They started an event loyalty card. Get out. Look at that. It's so cute. I'm showing it to Chris. It's like, you know, like if you go to your favorite coffee shop and they have a coffee club card where they stamp it or punch it. It's got five little books on it. And when you go to five events and get them initialed, you get $5 off. That's great. And available at either store. Yeah. So So Bank Square Books or Savoy. And, you know, they do such a great event there. They really do. I mean, our buddy Alyssa was there who was on our episode where we interviewed people at Book Expo. Expo. She's the event coordinator. She was there. Great staff were there. And they just really did a nice event. Mm -hmm. And um, Lisa Tadeo was being interviewed, or, you know, the moderator was Nancy Burns Fusaro, who's our buddy from the Westerly Sun. Yeah. Who we first, well, you met her several times. I met her at some plays yeah. in that area through, that yeah. Laura was in. Yeah. And then didn't we, maybe we ran into her at a Nathaniel Philbrick event or something, and then she was the moderator for the Min Jin Lee event when yeah. we first saw Min, and, you know, she was talking about her book, Pachinko. So it was really nice to see her. She's She did a great job. And, you know, Three Women is quite controversial, I think. Um, The story behind it is Lisa was um, doing a lot of writing for magazines, and she wrote a piece about Tiger Woods and a relationship that he had with a woman who was the... It has a name. It's like the bottle women or something. Mm. The women at bars who... Their job is to go to the high stakes tables and bring them, you know, their expensive bottles of of booze. And so she got kind of engaged in the world of sex and writing. And she wrote this article and then a publisher reached out to her and said, how would you like to write a book about this, mm-hmm. about female desire, women's desire? Or just actually, I don't think that's the way he posed it. I think he posed, how would you like to write a book about desire? And so he sent, she agreed, like, sure, why not? Mm -hmm. She agreed. He sent her a bunch of books, one of which was Gay Talisa's book, Thy Neighbor's Wife. Okay. Thy Neighbor's Wife, which apparently is a very famous book. I never read it. That's kind of about the swinger culture. From the male perspective. From the male perspective. Right, yeah. And so she started to do a bunch of reading. She went and met him, which she tells the story of, which was quite a trip. And he basically said, the only way you can write this book is if you go out and sleep with a bunch of married men. And she was like... (laughs) want to do that (laughs) and I'll be one of them right exactly so she really realized that she wanted to figure out a different way to do this so she started to travel the country she literally crisscrossed the states like six or seven times eight times something like that and she would put posters up all over saying basically like tell me your stories Mm -hmm. do you have some stories and she started to talk to both men and women and slowly realized like, the women's stories, to use the term, were more prismatic, more interesting to her. And she realized she wanted to write it from the female gaze, mm-hmm. not the male gaze. Mm-hmm. And she really got embedded and entrenched in these people's lives. And she talked to them for eight years. And then she started to follow stories. So there's, there's three women, Lena, Sloan, and Maggie, that are written about in the book. Maggie is the only one where it's her real name her true identity because her case was actually a public case where she as a teenager got into a relationship with her English teacher in high school 
and when once she was a young adult decided realized that this was wrong and went to the police and reported it and after a court case and everything he was fully reinstated to his job wow cuz yeah the word relationship is used in quotation marks right. in that kind of situation right. yeah so it's very interesting that one and then the other woman is in kind of a loveless marriage lena and then the third woman, Sloan, is from Newport, Rhode Island, and she's a restaurateur, and she has sex with other men. She's very happily married, but she has sex with other men while her husband watches sometimes and not while he watches sometimes. Um, and they, as Lisa said, probably one of the happiest married couples she's ever met. And so it was really about these different women and different desires they had, and so three women, or yeah. so out of eight years of crisscrossing the country and hearing all these yeah. stories, she chose three. She chose three, and part of why she chose them is because many people she talked with for quite a long time finally said, you know, I don't want to be in this book. Yeah. And even though she used pseudonyms for them other than Maggie, who, you know, is it's a true case that you can go and read all about. What's slightly uncomfortable for me about reading it is it's a really different way of writing where it really reads like fiction. And you have to keep reminding yourself, she is telling, she's a journalist telling a story from interviews and time spent with these women. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's almost, it started to make me feel a little bit like and I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but reality TV, you know, like almost like you're being a voyeur in a very odd way. But when I went to the event, I mean, I was so interested to hear her speak because I was kind of loathing reading the book. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just was not enjoying myself. And because it was making me uncomfortable, and it's not, there's a lot of sex in it. It wasn't the sex that was making me uncomfortable. It was the design of it. But then when she talks about, like, you know, the women all read the book before she put it out. They made changes and corrections. Mm -hmm. So she really feels like she told the story the way they wanted her yeah. to tell the story. And she spent so much time with them. And then even just spending an evening with Lisa and watching her interact with people when she was doing her signings and stuff, I can see why people would talk to her. She's completely no judgment just really curious about people, really interested. Yeah. And I could see why people would talk to her, Yeah, you know? Mm -hmm. And she did an amazing job. But it's intense. Yeah. See, <laughs> one of the reviews, I think one of the best ones that I saw on BookTube was by Jacqueline. Who, she's a BookTuber, and her channel is called Six Minutes for Me. She was very concise and eloquent, I think, in her review of the book. And what she kind of, she summed up kind of like three points, and I, I hope I'm summing up her <laughs> summary well, but she felt like it was really mismarketed, was her problem with the book, because she said this is being marketed as being about women's desire, mm -hmm. and she didn't think it was about desire. Mm -hmm. she That's thought, what a lot of people yeah, said. Yeah, um, so she didn't think that. She thought a lot of the women lacked agency. Mm -hmm. And desire, that's problematic. What is your true desire if you don't have agency in your life? Mm -hmm. So that was her the, her kind of three points. I'm not going to read it. I, I don't really have interest in it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's a good question. I mean, it was very interesting to go to the event because people were waxing poetic and fawning and fanning. And, you know, I think what is really important about the book is that it's allowing... First of all, it is from the female perspective, and it is allowing people to talk about sex openly. And I think that's really more of what it's about, and that people have do have 
want, I need to be touched and seen and heard. And she gave these women a place for that to happen yeah. and, well, for and, a, I, and an opportunity for other people to read about it. Well, yeah, and I think when, especially when women come to a book for the first time that's so openly about sex, I think it could be really revelatory yes. for women to have that experience of reading about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of other books out there about sex and desire. Um, but I think, like, as Jacqueline said, she felt like the main problem was it was mismarketed. Yeah. That... And I don't remember, I'm sorry, Jacqueline, if you should be happy to hear this. I don't mean to put words in her mouth. I thought she th- said the book was good, but it was just completely mismarketed. Well, and that's, I've seen other reviews that say, you know, I enjoyed this book. It wasn't about desire. Right, yeah. But maybe people have different definitions of what desire is. I mean, I also think that they're, they are heavily marketing it. I mean, when we were at Book Expo, I got this book because they put it in my hand and said, this is the book everyone's going to be talking about. Yeah. And that's <laughs> you know? the thing. And I really feel like, I, I mean, I've read a book recently that I thought was really mismarketed. Mm-hmm. And it was a fine novel, but it, does, it's not a, it doesn't fall in line with that, how they're marketing it. Right. And it's just kind of right. like, did you people even read the book sometimes? Yeah. You know, it's, this is not the first time a book has been maybe not marketed right. as... Well, I mean, it's definitely one, if you do read it, you're going to want to talk to people about it. And I have to admit, I've been slightly obsessed with Lisa Tadeo. I mean, the one thing I haven't said is she can write. I mean, the writing is phenomenal. And that's what one woman said. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with I'm gonna, when I finish this. And on my way over here, I decided I'm going to turn to page one and start again. Wow. Because some of her lines are just amazing. And, you know, I think... It's a new way of writing that I'm excited about and also slightly scared of where you embed yourself and kind of write something that's part memoir, part nonfiction, mm-hmm. part storyteller. Sure. I mean, it's yeah. kind of odd, you know? Yeah. So. Well, it's like John Krakauer's Into Thin Air. Mm-hmm. Like, he got a little flack about mm-hmm. that story because it is kind of like, so you're on the mountain and people are dying or you know what do journalists do in times like that right and and then yeah and then another good one is midnight in the garden of good Good and evil evil. yeah and i think people felt a little bit about that too that it was a journalism is it how much you know and it was nonfiction. well they call it narrative nonfiction. And that's how this one's being marketed, too. Okay. Is that so? And Dave Eggers writes narrative nonfiction. The other kind of issue I had with it is if it's about female desire, why is it blurbed by a man on the front? It's the only blurb. Well, and if it's three women and they're all heterosexual. And they're white. Right. You know, I I mean, you could go deeply. Now, that one I kind of am forgiving of because. You know, she's a white woman, and she embedded herself, and I think that, you know, there's, she might have been given flack if she had done something else. I don't know the answer to that, and I don't know who she talked to. She didn't talk about the, she said she literally talked to hundreds of people. Yeah. So I don't know how she really narrowed it down to these three. But I will also say it's been picked up by Showtime. It's going to be a series. She's writing it. I know. Congratulations to her. I know. Congratulations. But that also kind of felt like, oh, these, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. I mean, it just this is a different conversation of just about the marketing of yeah. books. And yeah. like, I pretty much quit reading flaps on books because mm-hmm. I think they're so misleading, some of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even blurbs by other writers. I, I just like, if certain people blurb books now, I don't pick up the book. Yeah. Because I kind of feel like you've misled me too many times. 
Mm-hmm. It's the art in itself. Yeah. I think to market a book well and with integrity. Yeah. So yeah. the reader is picking up the book that you're actually marketing and not yeah, just selling something. Yeah. And I'm not targeting my comments towards any particular book, but... Yeah, no, it's a good point. And it's also the whole hype thing, and we've talked about that. Like, sometimes you just need to wait to read something because of the hype. Right. You go into it with your expectations set too high. Yeah, exactly, right. And that, I think, that could be a problem for for people. And I I wonder, like, what the conversations are like in publishing houses about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, where, where's the line? Because you don't want to have disgruntled readers yeah, I'm glad we're not in charge of all that. Yeah, so if you're in publishing and you know these inside <laughs> stories, give us a call. Yeah, really. We'd love to talk with you. <laughs> so do you have any upcoming adventures? I don't know anything that's going on at I, all. I only have one. <laughs> I have been so, like, You've my nose packing. to the grindstone, yeah. I only have one, and it's a doubleheader because it's at the Ooh. Odyssey Bookshop in South Hadley, Mass. on August 8th at 7 p.m. It's a long shot that I'm going to get there. I'm going to try. And it's Mary Doria Russell. Oh. Her oh. new book is The Women of Copper Country. And the reason it's a twofer is because Anne Kingman from Books on the Nightstand is going to be there. Very cool. So I'd really like to make it. If I go, you know, then I can... My gentleman caller lives an hour north from here, so I could potentially go and then just stay with him after. It could be a threefer. It could be a threefer. (laughs) Ooh, we could go bad places with that one. Anyway, we won't. Move on. That's the only one I have. (laughs) And then upcoming reads. I know you're going to be reading Middlemarch. Yeah, you know what? I have two other ones here that are definitely um, of strong interest to me. One is The Ventriloquist. It's by E.R. Ramzapur. And this one, I picked up a sample copy or sample chapter at Book Expo, but the book is out now. When did it come out? Oh, no, it's not out yet. I thought I saw that it was out already. I'm sorry. It's out August 27th. Oh, that's not that far that's away. A, I could have sworn I saw somebody, maybe somebody was reading an arc of it or something. But this is a World War II kind of like mystery thriller that I'm really looking forward to. And I think I mentioned it before in our recap of Book Expo. Um, But the other book I'm definitely going to be reading is another one by Catherine J. Atwood. She writes uh, in the Women of Action series uh, about their young adult nonfiction about women at war, women in war. And this is Women Heroes of World War II, 32 Stories of Espionage, Sabotage, Resistance, and Rescue, and this is the second edition, and it is also coming out in August. We are in August right now. Yes. But I didn't read the first edition of this, but I did read her Women Heroes of World War II, the Pacific Theater. This one is in Europe. Okay. All of these women are in Europe. And so she has short biographies of women from different countries who were in that war from Germany, Poland, France, the Netherlands, Belgium, Denmark, Great Britain, the United States, and the Soviet Union. And there are at least two women in each chapter. Excellent. So I'm looking forward to that. Again, young adults, really good. I'd highly recommend Catherine's books for your library. If you're a librarian, I would think young people would love these. That's great. Yeah. How about you? Well, I'd like to read Pure by Linda K. Klein. I see you brought that with you, you know today. What? I did. I just picked it up this morning. I, right. I requested it. 
Yeah, um, Linda is going to be with us on our next episode. Yeah. We're going to have a chat with her. Um, it's called Pure Inside the Evangelical Movement That Shamed a Generation of Young Women and How I Broke Free. It's right. a memoir. Yeah. Really excited to talk to Linda. Fascinating that we mention Jonathan Edwards, because talk about religious abuse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and then now Pure, which is modern day uses yeah. and abuses of religion. Yeah, and I'm really interested. She's done a lot for, um, I think she's established a group helping other women. So I think she's going to be really interesting to talk to. And that came out in hardcover last year, but the paperback was just released in July. If you want to pick yourself up a copy, we'll be talking to her on episode 83. Right. Looking forward to that. And I wanted to um, end on a slightly somber note, but maybe not so somber. I had a really good friend pass away. Um, Her name was Kim. She was a chef that I had the incredible pleasure of working with for over 10 years. She was also just a good friend, and she was a member of my book club back in Ohio. She had Parkinson's disease and died much too young, but she is my friend who turned me on to short stories. So I just wanted to dedicate this episode to her and also tell you about the book that she handed me one day at work when I had announced to her that I couldn't read short stories. The next day she showed up and said, try this, and handed me So Long by Lucia Berlin. And Lucia Berlin died in 2004 at the age of 68. She did not achieve much acclaim in her lifetime, but has now as one of those authors that posthumously has received tremendous acclaim. So she has quite a list of books out that you could look up. If you feel like you can't read short stories, or if you are a short story lover, I highly, highly recommend Lucia Berlin. So I'm thankful to Kimmy for introducing me to short stories because I ended up loving them. In our book group, we read Olive Kittredge together. And one of the things I remember Kim saying, because Olive Kittredge was one of those books that really changed to me the idea of short stories that have a character that travels throughout the book. Yeah. So Kim, when we were discussing it, said that Olive was kind of like, where's Waldo? Because <laughs> you were always wondering where Olive would show up in the story, and she always right. did. Yeah. I just wanted to think about Kim in short stories. Right. Now coming up next, we have our interview with Fiona Davis that we did at Book Expo. The sound quality might be a little rough because it was recorded live at the big signing area, uh, but we hope you enjoy it. And Fiona's new book, The Chelsea Girls, is available now. Enjoy. Happy Happy reading. reading. We are on day two of Book Expo in the Big Apple. We ran into a favorite author of ours, Fiona Davis, who has a brand new book. It's called the Chelsea Girls. Yeah. And you might remember those of you who listen regularly that we did a live event with Fiona uh, talking about your book, The Masterpiece, which is out last year. So we're excited to be here again talking with you today. It's an absolute honor to see you both. What a treat. And one of our friends said, she has another book out? They were so excited. So yeah. you're very prolific. Yeah. You know, I really enjoy it. I think it's because my it's my third career and everything sort of headed in this direction, going from actress to journalist to historical fiction writer, that I think when you really feel like you've found your niche, that's what you want to do. Um, and I just love researching and writing, and I love a deadline. Yeah, so I'm one of those people that loves to yeah. check things off lists. Yeah. And so you give me a deadline, I will get 
get there early. And, <laughs> you know, my editor loves that. Um, but yeah, so and, and the books are intense to research and write, but because I'm here in New York, everything's accessible to me. So I have great experts to interview. I can go, you know, find my way through the building and learn about it that way. So the access makes it easier, I think, to get out a book a year. That's great. And so just background for those listeners who aren't familiar with Fiona's books, each novel is based around a historic building in New York, and there's often two timelines. I know in the masterpiece, it was the 1920s and the 1970s, which I thought was really fabulous because it wasn't a contemporary timeline and a historical. It was two historicals. Even though the 70s feels a little fresh for us since we were all alive during that time period. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the Chelsea Girls and yeah. just what the timeline is and how you came upon the idea? Sure. It's a little different in that it's um, it's still two time periods, but it's two women, each of their own point of view, within one time period. So you're telling the story straight from 1950. One chapter is one person's point of view. The next chapter is the other one's. And then we jump to 1968. Um, and so there are two timelines and two points of view, but we're not going back and forth from 1950 to 1968. It's a, a straight plot, um, which was fun to do. And it gave me a little break from that going back and forth. And the idea to do the Chelsea Hotel came from watching a documentary about it and kind of seeing inside it and feeling overwhelmed at how many famous people, poets, writers, authors, musicians have lived there and thinking, oh no, this is too much, but being drawn into the kind of seedy side of it. um, You know, it was was full of communists in the 1940s and 50s. You know, you had Arthur Miller living there. And that drew me into the McCarthy era. Which is when I said it. It's 1950, and it's from the point of view of an actress and a playwright who are good friends who are trying to put a play on Broadway during the blacklist. Wow. Oh, wow. And people, just to give people background who don't know the Chelsea Hotel, people lived there for long periods of time, right? Yeah, it wasn't a hotel where you kind of, well, you could pop in and out, but people lived there for years and decades and, um, you know, were famous artists and then eventually older and then died there it's it's just got this amazing support of, of artists and the the manager there would accept artwork in, in lieu of rent that's fabulous oh, yeah that's so the, the, the lobby was just filled with artwork wow. that he that he bought instead of paying rent and no one really signed leases it was very uh Yeah. <laughs> here comes somebody else right now. Oh, we'll see. 
<laughs> we'll have to get a sign in the future. No more books. Interview and process. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm afraid not. I'm so sorry. Oh, it comes out July 30th, though. So okay. keep an eye out. Okay. Yeah. Do people stop you in the streets at all? I ha- no, you know, usually if if someone hears the name, they they might click in. Like mm-hmm. like my the guy who, who fixes my pool <laughs> was like Fiona Davis. Well, I know who you are. Oh, that's <laughs> it was great. very sweet. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. So it's, that's been fun. Yeah. yeah. So are you going on a big tour for this book? Yeah, they're sending me on a wonderful tour. It'll start July 30th here in New York at the Barnes Noble Upper West Side, and then it goes from Ohio to Houston to St. Louis to Tulsa to South Carolina to Florida to Pennsylvania. That's yeah. 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 All right, everybody. We'll put that link in the show notes to, yeah. to Fiona's events so you can track her down in your local area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll be on my website, um, so all the details will be there. So that should be fun. I have a question that's not related to the book. Since yeah. we're at Book Expo, are there, you know, Chris and I spend a lot of time fangirling over different <laughs> authors. Is there anyone that you get to see here that you're really excited about? You know, I saw last night at a party from across the room Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. And so I just stared at her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I love her books, and City of Girls is interesting because it's 1940s New York from a, a group of actors. And, a, and so I love that kind of synergy that that's yeah. her book and, and it's called City of Girls and mine is Chelsea Girls so I'm, I'm just glomming onto her face yes. as much as I possibly can but and staring yeah. at her. Maybe, yeah. we, maybe we can predict a you know a, a dual panel in the future there with the two of you. That's yeah. hilarious because our claim to fame with Elizabeth Gilbert is that we went to an event at the New York Public Library and sat down and then she proceeded to sit right in front of us so we have a yeah. picture of the back of her head yeah. that we're very proud of. <laughs> <laughs> she did chat with us. She, she was did. Lovely. Oh, she was, she was so nice. friendly. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So she's definitely one. And uh, and my the, my the book I'm currently reading and just loving is the guest book by Sarah Blake. Oh yeah. Oh, it's just so beautifully written. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to to go back and. I'm wondering if I can't remember if that's out yet. It is. It is. Okay. Yeah. I will say I feel yeah, like I've so seen it. Yeah. So that's one that's okay. been out. Yeah. All right. It came so. out a few weeks ago. Well, how has your writing of these books? I, you were born and raised in New York? Were you no, a no? I, I was born in Canada and That's raised right. in New Jersey and Utah, yeah. but been here for 30 years 30 now. Years. So okay. this is home. So this is home. Yeah. How has the writing of your novels and all this research you've done, has it changed the way you see New York? Yeah, definitely. Because I feel like whenever I go into a building, I'm looking at the layers of history there mm. and the, you know, wondering what ghosts are wandering around. And yeah, no question, because every building is a potential source. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's and there's so many beautiful buildings say, here. There's so there many. Are, yeah. Yeah. To the yeah. point where sometimes I have to turn that off. Right. Because I need to focus on the book I'm working on now. Right. Yeah, yeah, don't go for walks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't walk by the Flatiron building. Yeah. Start oh, that is such a cool it. building. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that building. Do you have a list of buildings in mind for future books? No, you know, I can only do one thing at a time. And so I find the next, the idea for the next book starts to percolate right as I'm finishing up the edits on the book I'm working on now. And every November that's happened, where something's kind of kicked in, and I thought, oh yeah, that's where it should go. So I'm happy to wait until that that um, comes up. And it's fun to do book talks and ask people, 
what, what buildings they want. And that's where the, build, the, work I'm, the book I'm working on now takes place at the New York Public Library. I was just going to ask. And that came from so many people at reading saying, hey, how about the New York Public Library? Yeah. And digging into that and learning that um, when it first opened, there was an apartment inside, a seven-room apartment for the superintendent and his family. Yeah, I've read an article about yeah. that. So kids, somebody grew up yeah, living they, they in the Yeah, they had three kids library. and they lived in the library. That's amazing. And where, what is that space used for now? Um, it's offices and storage. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And is it in like the inner sanctum? It's of the in building? it's in it's on the mezzanine level, kind of on the south side, and it overlooks an inner courtyard. Oh. So it's really in the heart of the library, just tucked in there. Oh. Yeah, because back in the day they had to make sure the boiler yeah. kept going and all yeah. that, right? So yeah. somebody had to be there twenty four seven. Yeah, so that's kind of fun. It's so yeah, it's fun to find the secrets of every building, like with the Chelsea Hotel. Um, I was reading about it and learned that there's a secret tunnel that connects um, the Chelsea to a townhouse on 22nd Street right behind it where they used to house the staff. Wow. Oh, wow. Ooh, that's a good plot point. Yeah. That is yeah. a good plot point. Right. Yeah, a lot yeah, of intriguing that. things could happen with an underground right? tunnel. Yeah. yeah. And what is the Chelsea Hotel used for today? It's been under renovation for a long time. There are still around 50 residents who still live there. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so they've been renovating around them. It's going to become more of a boutique hotel, it looks like. Oh, okay. Um, there'll be, I think, I've heard about a roof bar or a garden bar. So I think they're trying to make it hip and cool, which is tough for the people who've lived there for 50 years. Yes. And know it as a different kind of, of place. And But it's just the way New York changes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Did you get to interview any of the folks that are living there? I did, I did, and got to go inside, and it was under renovation, so it was a bit of a mess, but there's so many documentaries and photos that I was able to get a sense of what it was like in the 50s, and that helped. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some great books out there, too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what the longest length of a residency was there? Ooh. Um, I would say well over 50 years, wow. definitely. Yeah, I don't, uh, so many people came there in the 30s, and away in the 80s or 90s. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Is it still a, a thing in New York City for people to live at a hotel or is that pretty much There a... is. You know, I know Elaine Stritch, I think, just kind of lived at the Carlyle or one of the hotels where, yeah, where you can do that if you have enough money. I was just okay. going to say, right. I'm yeah. so frugal. It just seems so expensive to me. Yeah. But on the other hand, rents in New York are expensive, so maybe right. it all works out. And yeah. the Chelsea Hotel, some of the apartments had kitchenettes and, okay. and kitchens. Some of them are really quite grand. There were some that were like an eight-room apartment. Wow. Um, they eventually got chopped up. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so there were some beautiful apartments. They're more like It was more like an apartment than a... It was like the Barbizon Hotel for women, mm-hmm. where women stayed there and stayed on. Yeah, the, I love the Warwick Hotel yeah. because Gary Grant lived there oh, for a long time. So, yeah, and they have some photos of him yeah. in there. So, interesting. Huh. Yeah, each building has quite a quite a sense of history. Yeah. yeah, and some of their lobbies are so grand. So yeah. did the Chelsea, because it had people living there long term, did it also have shared space where people would go? Um, there, there was the lobby, which wasn't that grand. It was kind of strange. Um, but not really. When it was first built, it did have a dining room and a ladies' salon, a ladies' drawing room type thing. But in the 50s and 60s, it was more like an apartment building. Um, and there's a famous restaurant next to it called El Quixote that was there for years. It only just recently closed. And that's where everybody would go and hang and have a sangria. So that's where you could spot all the artists, yes. etc. Yeah. Wow, that's really fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. And that was connected directly to the hotel. 
Oh, okay. Hotel. It was their restaurant hotel. Yeah. yeah. Hotel restaurant. Hotel. <laughs> their restaurant hotel. Yeah. Their hotel restaurant. Yeah. 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 We have a lot of writers who listen to the podcast. I'm just curious if you would share a little bit of what your writing process is like. Yeah, sure. So I do a lot of research first. And, you know, people say, oh, do you have an assistant who does it? And I couldn't do that because that's where you find out what what surprises you. Like the things that surprised me about Grand Central, that there was an art school there, created the whole plot for the for the masterpiece. And, and so for me, doing all that research is going out and interviewing experts and finding people who lived at the Chelsea Hotel, for example, because it's the McCarthy era, in, um, interviewing actresses and acting teachers who went through um, the blacklist and what that was like from working in the theater and, and just getting all those amazing details and, and, and feeling their anger mm-hmm. as they spoke as, yeah. at what was lost. Yeah. Um, and, and so that energizes me. And then I create the plot and the characters and really map it out. I'm a, the daughter of an engineer. <laughs> so, so I know where the where the story's headed because there's usually a, a couple big twists and a mystery. I have to know what it is. So I plot it out and then just work my way through a first draft and then revise and revise and revise. Okay. Now do you write longhand on a laptop? You know what I do is I sketch out the scene longhand on a legal pad with a pencil. Oh, wow. I kind of just stream of consciousness. I know what it has to be, but I get down all the basics and then I go to my computer and type it up from there. Uh, now this is nitty gritty, but do you have favorite pencils? Um, yeah, you know, it's those yellow ones that you twist the, they're um, mechanical pencils and you yeah. twist the tip. Yeah. With a little razor on? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yes, cool. Exactly. I totally know those. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I love pencils and pens and stuff. Yes. So oh, yeah. You have to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I use Scrivener, which is a great program yes. for I'm consolidating your it. research, yeah. especially if you're doing a, a book with a lot of research. I can click on one thing and see the the dress that the character should be wearing as I'm typing. And that's nice rather than have to open something, close something. It makes it really accessible. Or have two monitors or or something like that. Yeah. It's great. It's a great resource. It's good. And then I know you said you write well with a deadline, so how long does it usually take you from the start of the research to... It's about 12 months. So it's usually around December I start doing the research. And then by November 1, it's turned into my editor. And then there's more revisions. But usually by Jan- De- December, January, it's it's in the good shape and off to the copy editor. That's great. Yeah. yeah. What, do you have a... I'm sorry, Emily. I just got I was just say, so the Chelsea Girls is coming out this summer, July 30th. Yeah. And then next summer... Will be the New York Public Library book. Wow. Which does not have exciting. a title yet. Any okay. ideas? Send them my way. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you heard that, listeners. We're crowdsourcing a title. I love that. Please help me. <laughs> That's fabulous. Yeah. What were you going to ask? I'm sorry. I was just going to ask if you had a favorite part of the writing process. This, you know, is it research or the writing? Yeah, it's both my favorite and my and my most feared, and that's the research, because you're learning so much, and there's so many possibilities that your head is just full of information and trying to cram it in and learn about a new new era. Um, and, and so it's really exciting because the possibilities are all there, and it could be any book, right? Like yeah. At that point, it could be the best book in the whole world, and then you start writing it, and you know, suddenly it becomes a book. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that I love the research and just talking to people and getting out and, and learning.
learning something new is so much yeah. fun. And yeah. I know whatever surprises me will surprise the readers. Right. And so that's what I go on. It's a great right. point. Yeah. So this is a very unpopular question, <laughs> but I'm going to ask it. Do you have a favorite of your books? Ooh. You know, I have to say The Chelsea Girls is really close to my heart because it's about actors. And I came to New York as an actress and I was involved with a theater company and that's where all my best friends are from today. Okay. And, and so to write about the theater world um, was just so much fun. And the Chelsea Hotel is such a great, great building. So at the moment, that one was probably whichever one I'm really talking about. <laughs> right. Yeah, right, it's yeah. hard to choose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah just like kids. Right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thank Great. you so much. Oh, thank, thank you. you. This is fantastic. Yeah, really lovely. And to repeat again, Chelsea Girls comes out July 30th. Thank yes. you. Yeah. Yeah. I so appreciate this opportunity to chat. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, Join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.